The following message is from Ridgewood Church in Greer, South Carolina. For more information, visit RidgewoodGreer.com. When people think about you, what do they think about? When people, you know, have been around you, maybe they leave your presence, what do they remember about you? And what are people going to remember about you at the end of your life? Now, for many of us in the room, uh, we're going to remember different things about each other. Maybe last week is going to be a memory that sticks in your mind, that you remember somebody specifically, this pastor I had one time, he just doesn't like Disney. He just hate, seems to hate Disney. And that's just going to be a memory that's stuck in your head when, when Trevor comes to the end of his day. It's going to be like, man, I remember that day he just talked about Disney in such a mean way. <laughs> or maybe, maybe you'll remember, you know, this pastor this one time, he seemed to like Christmas Hallmark movies. And I just don't understand why that was the case, talking about myself in, in that way. Or maybe you'll remember stories that were told... I think I remember Trevor telling us a famous story of him being recruited by the South Carolina Gamecocks to play football, just the, the pinnacle of what he was pursuing, but he, he decided the ministry was going to be far better than, than playing for the Gamecocks and gifting them his presence. <laughs> or maybe you're going to remember that one of your pastor had little ears, or maybe he just knew how to put the microphone on his, on his head and didn't need tape to keep it there. I don't, I don't know what you're going to remember about the two of us. Sorry, if you're not getting any of these, it's the last couple of weeks. Trevor's had some ribbing of us, so I feel like, you know, we share the pulpit. We have plurality of pastors for a reason. I get to come up here as well. But maybe people are going to remember about you that you are a, you're a great guy. You're just a great guy. He was just a good guy. Maybe you'll remember, man, that that lady, she was just a sweet lady. She was so kind. And those things are are, are oftentimes said with total, uh, trying trying to be genuine. But oftentimes those things are kind of very generic. They kind of of sit at at a surface level. But maybe people will remember about you, your love for Jesus. Just your deep and abiding love for Christ. Maybe they'll remember your discipleship of your children, the investment you took, the prayers you prayed, the uh, scriptures that you memorized. Maybe they'll remember that you just had hope. In the hardest of times, just circumstances seem to just beat you over and over and over again, and yet you had a hope. And you had a hope because of Christ. Maybe people will remember you had a love for others. Maybe people will remember your just prayerful state, that you just constantly were praying for others, you were praying for the work of the Lord to go forward. Maybe people will remember just your faith, your steadfast faith and your hope. In the midst of doubts, in the midst of trials, that your faith just never went away and that you were able to endure to the end. I was at a funeral yesterday, I was able to read some scripture uh, at it, but just thinking about a funeral, in many ways a funeral represents our lives. 
You guys have been to uh, probably a variety of funerals, and you can just tell pretty quickly when people start talking about the person. At a funeral, you're never going to say anything bad. It's only going to be positives. You're not allowed to you know, talk about any of the negatives, maybe a little ribbing of a story here or there, but you kind of immediately know what that person was about. What was their life surrounded by? What did it centralize on? Now, I, I, I'm kind of opening this up with just one, one caveat to say here is that, you know, in, in thinking about this, I'm putting these thoughts in your minds. Now, we're not out for man's praise. We're not out to have our lives be super memorable uh, by other men. We're out to serve the Lord and to bring his name glory. But our lives and the way other people think about us, they do reflect Something. There's some kind of meaning that can be found. This morning we're going to get to look at 1 Thessalonians. We're, we're thinking about this church in Thessalonica. The last couple of weeks we've been, this is our, our third and final week in a series that we're called uh, that we're calling Praying with Paul. So we did this two years ago, and we're doing this now to really help shape our prayers. What are, what are passages that Paul wrote in his letters that teach us how to pray, that teach us how he prayed? And then from there, we are able to mimic our prayers after him. So really, we hope in many ways that the goal would be that you would go to these passages that we've been in, uh, Romans 11, Philippians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, And you would go in the morning, at your lunchtime, in the evenings, and these would shape your prayers. Now, in thinking about memories and how we are remembered, 1 Thessalonians is a book where the founders of the church are essentially remembering how grateful they are for the church at Thessalonica. So, Trevor talked to to us last week about Uh, The church at Philippi was founded in Acts chapter 16. And then right after the Philippian church was founded, the the church at Thessalonica was founded. So if you guys want to flip, you're able to flip to to Acts 17. We're going to read just a a few of these verses. So the church at Philippi has been established. Paul, Silas, and Timothy have been laboring to see people come to know God. The Lord. Now, Paul and Silas have faced hardship and have faced trial, and we come to the last verse of chapter 16. And Paul and Silas, they've essentially been in prison. They're going to be released, but they're, before they're released, they're beaten, they're, they're persecuted, they're, they're flogged in many ways, they're, they're hurt, but then they almost go away with rejoicing. They go to visit Lydia the one who helped found the church, the one who hosted the church. They go to talk to Lydia, they go to talk to the church, and then they encourage them, and they uh, then depart from them. And then where do they go? Well, they end up in Thessalonica, and really they end up doing, and we're going to see here in just a second, the, the two things that Paul always does wherever he goes. He evangelizes, and he seeks to start a church. So let's read Acts Chapter 17, verse 1. Jonathan, you could go ahead and put up the the, uh, map. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, 
I tried, to, I, I tried to look up pronunciations for both of these words this week, and it was like, man, I don't even know how you, how you would say these. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So you're going to be able to see in this map. Way down at the bottom right is Jerusalem. This is where the church started. We've been in a series in Acts. That's where the church is, is birthing from, is in Jerusalem. But now, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, uh, they're way up in the top left. Um, you'll be able to, you, you might not be able to see them all, but they're in, they're, there's Philippi, uh, there's Amphipolis, uh, there's Apollonia, and then they come to Thessalonica. And so they've been traveling around essentially between these different cities. There's about 50 miles, and they're traveling and seeking to uh, come to Thessalonica all the while they're preaching Christ and Him crucified. So they come to the synagogue of the Jews, and then verse 2, and Paul went in, as was his custom. You can leave the map up there, Jonathan. I'll come back to it in a second. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. So verse 2 tells us he was there for three Sabbath days. So essentially he was there over three different weekends. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they're only there for three weeks. They are there for a very quick time, and they are there to prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is promised. Verse 4, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Jews, or devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So essentially, Jews have become believers, Greeks have become believers, and then a number of the leading women have become followers of Jesus. Verse 5, But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who, you have tur- who have turned the world upside down have come here also. What an accusation of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. These guys who just come into areas, they talk about Jesus, they have turned the world upside down. And we are a testament to this. We are sitting how many tens of thousands of miles from this area, and we are sitting here to sing and to worship Jesus. Verse 7, and Jason, assume, Jason presumably this kind of first, first leader, you know, early convert in these first few weeks, has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So this is part of the issue. There is another king. Caesar is to be king, and yet now the Thessalonians are starting to worship Jesus as king. Verse 8, and the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, and they let them go. So the, the Thessalonians faced very quick persecution. Persecution comes very fast. People do not like that there is a new Lord, that there is uh, somebody else to follow other than Caesar. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, uh, if you're in uh, 1 Thessalonians, the first verse, it says Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, these are the original founders. These are, original, uh, these are the ones who are kind of writing this letter. And Paul comes out and will write certain parts uh, more quickly. But they have a deep 
love for the church. And so Paul and, and Silas and Timothy, they're forced further down. They're forced to go kind of left to Berea, which is in the very top left. And then eventually Paul leaves them and starts working his way down the coast. That's the Aegean Sea. And ends up in Athens, which is going to be the rest of Acts chapter 16. But he leaves Paul and Silas behind and then eventually gets word to them. Now, uh, now remember, this is walking or, you know, traveling, you know, very slowly. They're traveling 50 miles, 100 miles, 150 miles. That is not an easy transition. That's not an easy uh, place to move. But Paul leaves Silas and Timothy behind, and then eventually, the context for 1 Thessalonians is that Paul gets word to Timothy. I am worried about the church at Thessalonica. They faced, we, we all faced, very severe persecution. We didn't get to spend the time that we may have liked to spend there to disciple them and to raise them up. Timothy, go back and check on Thessalonica. See how they are doing. See what is happening. Because Paul has a deep love for the church at Thessalonica. And in many ways, he, he probably wanted to return. But chapter 2, verse 18 tells us that Paul was hindered by Satan. So he wasn't able to return. So Paul instead sends Timothy. He wanted to be there. And in many ways, he wanted to be there. So he instead of being able to physically be present, he spent time in prayer. But when he finally just got the urge of, I need to know what's going on, he sent Timothy. And, and Paul essentially assumes that the church at Thessalonica is going to have been unfaithful, or they're not to have been steadfast, that they won't have endured. And so he sends Timothy. You're welcome to take the, the map down now, Jonathan. He sends Timothy this brother and coworker in the gospel, chapter 3, verse 2 tells us, to establish and exhort the church at Thessalonica in the faith. They're going to need more discipleship. They're going to need more help. This is the way we remember, we remember them. They, they came to know the Lord. They seemed to love Jesus. But the persecution was strong. And so we want to see them stand firm in the faith. So really the big question of 1 Thessalonians, is will the Thessalonians remain steadfast and faithful in the midst of persecution? Now, we think about that for, for any of us, for any of us in the room. It's really hard to endure through something when difficulty comes. Trevor brought up New Year's uh, resolutions uh, last year and kind of thinking about this is a good time to, to come up with some new things that we want to do. But in many ways, a lot of us in the room, minus Drew Plumley, probably struggles to endure through uh, some of these resolutions that we set. It's hard to endure. It's hard to persevere because whatever, whatever your goal is, if it's you know, exercise, if it's reading, if it's eating, there comes a rainy, cold day. And it's like, do I want to be outside? No. It comes a day when you're tired. It comes a day when you're sick, when your kids didn't sleep, when you didn't sleep, when work gets really hard. And it's, it's, it's difficult to endure. It's difficult to continue on. And in many ways, that's why you know, sometimes in my life, I'm afraid to set 
certain resolutions or certain goals just out of fear of falling short, out of fear of the, the difficulty is going to come and am I going to be able to endure? Am I going to be able to get on the other side? Paul is a super great example of, of someone who does endure. Some of the very last words out of Paul's mouth, 2 Timothy chapter 4, a lot of times we read at, at funerals that he fought the fight, he finished the race, and he kept the faith. That in many ways, the, the Christian life can be a life of, of difficulty or hardship or questioning the Lord, even times of questioning his goodness when difficult things come in. And yet we want to keep the faith. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, their minds are almost essentially just blown by the church at Thessalonica. Based on chapter 3, verse 6, it says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us. They have been able to endure. The church at Thessalonica has been able to endure. And Paul and Silas and Timothy are stoked. Have you ever had you know, the time in your life where you thought bad news was coming. You go to a doctor's appointment. You have a, an initial doctor's appointment. They maybe find some things. They're, they're like, we want to run some more tests. And you go for the second one. And you have you know, some tests done. And then you come back for the follow-up. But the news is actually positive. In many ways, the, the news a lot of times will be negative. But when the news is positive, it's almost mind-blowing. And Paul and Silas and Timothy are encouraged to see that the Thessalonians have endured, that they have remained faithful, that they are continuing to walk with the Lord. They almost doubted that the Thessalonians would be able to uh, endure and to remain faithful. In many ways, that's that's a depiction of them kind of viewing, man, we weren't sure if God was just going to be faithful to his church. And this is where we get this prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God, always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor and love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they are giving thanks for this church body that they love deeply. They helped found, they, they spent their days going, facing persecution, going to reason with the people that Jesus is the Messiah. And they are deeply grateful for this church. The thankfulness language, it shows up again in chapter 2, verse 13, and then again in chapter 3, verse 9. They are continually thankful But I think an important two words, at least in in this ESV translation, in in our English translation, is we give thanks to God. To God. Now consider how easy it would have been for these relationships to, to be different. Consider how easy it would have been 
for Paul to be hindered to ever go to Thessalonica. He makes clear in this letter, I am hindered right now from coming to you. It could have very easily been that Satan had hindered him previously. And instead of being able to end up in Thessalonica, he had to go first to Berea and Athens. And he never ends up there. But he knows that God has led him there. Or think about the fact that he had three weeks. It could have been one week. It could have been two weeks. It could have been less time. There could have been no converts. But the Spirit worked. Our God, who is the sovereign orchestrator led and guided Paul, Silas, and Timothy specifically to be at Thessalonica. Think about a, a passage like Proverbs 16.9. Man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Maybe Paul would have wished, I'm going I'm to go to Thessalonica, that's where I'm supposed to go, I need to go preach the gospel there. But if God didn't open up the door, if God hadn't opened up you know, the steps for him to take, it wouldn't have been there. For us, we scheme, we think, we dream, but God directs, God leads, God guides, God establishes. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy are grateful for the time that they had with this church, and they are grateful for Timothy's good report. In many ways, I think about that with our, with our own church, with you guys in the room today, how thankful I am to God, to be here with you now. Consider how easy it would have been for you not to be in the room this morning, for you not to be a member of our church. I think about, it's, it's interesting, many of you uh, came and visited us. We used to meet at Greer First Baptist on Sunday nights up through September 4th, just like four or five months ago. And, and I've talked to a number of you that it was like, yeah, we've been visiting churches on Sunday morning, but we thought we'd come visit you since Sunday night was available. No other churches are having their gatherings on Sunday nights. So we came and visited, and then we never left. And it's amazing how God opened up those doors. We met on Sunday nights for three years, and that closed certain doors for certain people, but then it opened doors for other people. And then I think about many of you, I've talked to a number of you know, the guests and kind of newcomers in the room this is the first time you even knew we met on Sunday nights, and it was as little as four months ago that we were meeting on Sunday nights, not in this space. We are brand new still. And now many of you in the room are only here because we're back on Sunday mornings, and that's God's grace. That's God's kindness. That's God's kind of enduring care for us, that he gave a certain season for Sunday nights and a certain season on Sunday mornings. I think about many of you who were eager and, and desiring to join the church kind of from the start, or many of you even st helped start the church eight years ago. And then some of us, we face different trials and hardships based on church experiences or family difficulties or being forced to move uh, across, city, across the city or uh, across different states, and that's what brought us to this place. Job changes, moves, all the sort. And now, by God's grace, we get these few moments together here this morning to worship Jesus. I think about Casey and myself. I'm, uh, my wife is, is Casey, and we have, we have two little kids. Uh, but we were living in, in Kenya from 2017 to, to 2019. But when we originally went in 2017, it was, this is going to be the place we go. This is going to be our new home for as long as, as we can see. That, that is our hope. That would be our joy. 
But kind of God in his sovereign care closed doors, uh, kind of moved us in certain ways, guided us in certain ways to where we ended up here. And honestly, it, I haven't told many of you the story, but I mean, it's like a borderline miracle. It really is a miracle that, that my wife and I and then our two kids ended up being here. The only way I even kind of found out the, there was no position advertised. The only way I even found out about it was talking to another missionary in Ireland, making a joke with him about a few different things. And then he ended up telling me that he had talked to Trevor just a couple of days prior. And that's how the, the Lord has orchestrated just our story to being here. How has the Lord orchestrated your story? And then for, for me and for the pastors, we are grateful to God for how he has orchestrated you guys to being here. I thank God for you, for our members, for our kids, for our volunteers, for this morning, for all the time that we have. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they thank God for Timothy's good report. God is the one who brought endurance to the church at Thessalonica. It was not them willing themselves to make it, but they give thanks to God always for all of you for the endurance that they have. If you've got a bulletin on, the, on your way in, there, there should be a little insert in there with a, with a few notes that you can jot down. The first question on it is how do we align our heart with God's heart in this passage? This is uh, Trevor's been asking uh, two questions each week of the last two weeks. The first one being that, and then the second one uh, we'll get to here in just a minute. But how do we align our heart with God's heart in this passage? I added a parenthesis after it. This passage informs how we live. Now, we are specifically looking at Paul's prayers with the hope that they shape our prayer life. But also, this is God's word, and this shapes how we live, not only pray. It's going to shape how we pray, but it's also going to shape how we live. So that first bullet point, we know and understand that God faithfully cares for his people. God's faithfulness is on display in 1 Thessalonians. I mean, think about it. If you came to know Jesus and you were immediately persecuted, you were immediately tried, you were immediately put in prison, difficulty came up all around you, how hard it would be to endure. That is only by the work of the Spirit. That is only God's faithfulness. And so we see his faithfulness and what it does kind of in, in three different ways. It, it fuels this thanksgiving. It fuels this gratitude. And so we see it three different ways. Verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. Verse 2 is kind of the method of uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy's thanksgiving. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. So they constantly mention the Thessalonians in their prayers. So we kind of see that mentioning the, the ing adverb, and we see them constantly remembering them or constantly mentioning them. And then verse three, kind of the second ing verb, remembering before our God and Father three things your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love. Those should 
Maybe ring a bell if you've had any experience in, in God's word. It's going to pop up again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But Paul uses it seven times, uses this kind of triad of faith, hope, and love seven times in his writing. It is clearly something very foundational, very important for Paul. So let's think about it. The, the, the work of faith, essentially for each of these ofs, we can essentially replace of with that proceeds from. So the first one is work that proceeds from faith. We think about how there's this tension uh, that we deal with constantly in the Christian uh, walk of works and faith. Jim and I, uh, we did a podcast uh, just a week or two ago. It should already maybe be up on the, our podcast or it'll come up this week of the tensions of faith and work. And when we were in 1 John in uh, our Advent series, 1 John 2 and 1 John 3, it talks a lot about that your fruit, the way you live, should line up with what you believe. And in many ways that this is uh, our, our, our work is to line up with our faith. There's tension to manage there. Our works matter, but they do not save us. Christ's work saves. And then we, have, we put our faith and our trust in him. But Paul uses this phrase because his audience is going to essentially hear that the, to, the totality of this new Christian lifestyle that they are being called to is to distinguish them from the culture. And even from their own lives. In many ways, they probably have a pagan background. They are to be distinguished from their pagan background and to be distinguished from the pagan culture that is all around them. Their life is to look different in Christ. So work proceeds from faith. Or work comes from faith. Number two, labor that proceeds from love. In many ways, this is similar, similar labor and work, pretty much are, are synonyms. Love is not easy. Sustaining love is not simple. Love implies work. Love implies labor. Love, love implies commitment. Love is linked with activity. It's not just a feeling. How do you guys know that I love my wife? Well, I can say it to you, and I have feelings towards her, but my actions very much dictate how I love my wife. And if my love, when I say I love her, is genuine. So love that comes, or labor that comes from love. This is what Paul, or, or really Timothy, is seeing and then comes back and reports to them. And then the third one, steadfastness that proceeds from hope. And hope specifically in Jesus. Our hope is to be in Jesus, and it really can only be because of Jesus. This is the hope that the church at Thessalonica has. Consider just what we put our hope in. Think about what you guys put your hope in. It's easy to put our hope in a spouse. It's easy to put our hope in in a job, in money, in our kids, in a title, in prestige, in importance, in vacations, in a whole host of things. But each of those things will fail us or will fall apart. 
One day we are going to retire and we'll question maybe our whole identity. We're going to die. The stock market is going to crash. Major home issues happen. Bathrooms flood and septic tanks get backed up. Children are going to fail you. Vacations, they come. And then as quickly as they come, they go. And we can be paralyzed if our hope is in the things of this world. Our hope can't be in those things because they will fail us. The Thessalonians have been persecuted. They have been tried. Difficulty has come. But verse 6, kind of the second part of it, For you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The Thessalonians received God's word in the midst of trial, in the midst of persecution, but they received it with joy only because of the work of the Spirit. It is really mind-blowing to think about God's faithfulness, Jesus' faithfulness to the church at Thessalonica, and then in many ways to Ridgewood Church as well. And really, this steadfastness proceeds because of Christ's faithfulness. I think about the verse that Trevor uh, mentioned last week in Philippians 1, verse 6, that we, can, uh, we know that the good work will be completed by God. That is what we can put our hope in. We can put our hope in Christ. And so I ask you this morning, believer and unbeliever, where is your hope? What is your hope in? Is it in Jesus, the Son of God, the one who all things were created through and for, the one who is perfect, the one who so loved you and so loved us that he lived a perfect life, gave his life on the cross for us and didn't remain dead, didn't remain buried, but was raised again, conquering sin and death. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news that you and I need each and every week, each and every moment of every day, that Christ has given it all and the Spirit works in us. May our hope be in the gracious Savior. So that second bullet point, we live in accordance with God's faithfulness. That's what, that's what this is rooted in. We walk in the Spirit knowing our work precedes from our faith, our labor proceeds from our love, and our steadfastness proceeds from our hope in Jesus. Now, I do pray. Now, if you, if you in here this morning, if you are a, a, a weary Christian, if you are walking in and there's, I desire faith, I desire love, I desire hope, but I'm just struggling in one of those or maybe all three, my encouragement to you is to pray. To pray for the power of the Spirit to work and to encourage your heart to take Christ and to behold his beauty. And we're going to have a few moments here in just a minute to be able to pray. Let's read verse 4 and 5. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Verse 4, for we know. This essentially could have been just another ing verb. Knowing. Knowing brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. 
Their hope is that God has chosen them, that God so loves and cares for the church at Thessalonica that he chose them. And in many ways, these words are to be an admonishment and to be an encouragement and to be an assurance that Christ is the one who has done it all for them. Verse 10, Jesus delivered them from the wrath to come. Verse 5 really explains how the gospel came to the church at Thessalonica, really the basis for Paul's confidence. Our gospel came to you not only in word, so not only in word, but what's the thing a lot of times attached with word, not only in word, but also in deed. And we see that at the end of the verse. You know what kind of men we proved to be. We were men who lived out the words that we preached. It came in not only in word, but it came in power. Essentially, this is probably alluding to some kind of miracles that took place. We see miracles throughout the book of Acts, and presumably something similar happened in Thessalonica. In many ways, it's a miracle for the next one. It came in the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit came and changed the people. And then it came with full conviction. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they preach a convicted and truthful gospel, and then full assurance comes to the church at Thessalonica. So I want to think about just a few ways that this passage informs our prayers. The second part of of your handout. The first one is pray constantly and intentionally. We see Paul, Silas, and Timothy give thanks always, constantly remembering you. And and the the book is essentially going to close, chapter 5, verse 17, getting close to the end. And Paul says, you need to pray without ceasing. There's this constant nature of our prayer life. As we're going by the way, as we're driving, as we're experiencing something difficult, wherever we are in the morning and at night, praying constantly, but also praying intentionally. I think about these three guys and all the ministry they did, all the people they cared for, all the churches they helped start, all those cities that they went and influenced all the places they preach the gospel, and yet they, they are intentional to care and to love and to pray over the church at Thessalonica. Presumably there's some kind of intentionality behind that. They, they know who they're going to pray for and maybe even have some sort of like list thing to work through that they're constantly praying for. Number two, pray with other believers. The language we give thanks in the very beginning probably alludes to these three men gathering regularly to pray together. I think about it during our services. We have specifically, I wrote four, but now that I'm thinking about it, five times of prayer. And that is on purpose. Because we want to, as a gathered body, pray regularly. We want to pray in our community groups. We have an 8.15 a.m. prayer gathering on Sunday mornings. We would love to have you guys join that Pray with your spouse, pray with your children. We want to pray with other believers because the Lord works mightily. And lastly, pray the gospel would be made clear in word, deed, power, and through the Holy Spirit for yourself and for those in your life. And thank God for his work. 
I pray as we, as we think about our lives, we reflect back on our lives, we reflect back on the life of our church, and that that fuels thanksgiving more than anything else. It puts off boasting, it puts off pride, because there's no way that a sinner as wicked as me would somehow have the gift and the opportunity to stand up before you and teach God's word. God had to radically transform my life. And I know he's had to radically transform your life. And let's pray and ask God that he will continue to transform our lives. We want to pray for ourselves and we want to pray for others. In many ways, when we think about these few verses, I think it encourages us to live and to pray according to God's faithfulness. Now, at the end of each of our services, these last couple weeks, we've been taking time to pray. We've been asking people that you can, you can come up front and pray. We can, you can position yourself however you want. We don't want to use this as a manipulation. We don't want to force you in any kind of response. But I do think it is helpful to have a call to action. That if the Lord is working on you, the Spirit is working in you to move and to really almost cement this working by, by a prayer, by a movement. And we can pray according to, to God's word that's been proclaimed and taught. So we respond to what the Spirit's doing. So pray, if, if, you're, if you're led, you can come forward, you can bring your needs, you can bring adoration for the Lord, you can bring your burdens, you can bring thanksgiving. Ask God to help your faith, love, and hope. To increase. Cast your cares on the gracious Lord. He is listening and he is ready to move and he is ready to work. So respond as you will. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning, this opportunity to gather and to hear your word taught. Thank you for the opportunity to pray and to come before you. Lord, I pray you're working in our hearts and in our lives even now. Lord, I pray that we would look upon your faithfulness in our lives, in our church's lives, in the lives of our family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, in the lives of sister churches, and we would see your faithfulness and that that would fuel prayer, that that would fuel thanksgiving. And Lord, that that would fuel prayer for you to continue to work according to your faithfulness, according to your grace, and according to your kindness. Lord, we pray you would make the gospel clear to us that Christ's life, death, resurrection, and his ascension, Jesus, that you ruling and reigning at the right hand of God even now, that that would be beautiful to us, that that would fuel our hope, and that our hope would be in you, God, the one who is steadfast. Lord, we love you. And we come before you in Christ's holy name. Amen.